As we remain standing, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, and we'll read verses 19 through 30, which is our text this morning. God's Word says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named, one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that as we've just been able to sing your words back to you, that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we thank you for this word of God that shines a way through a hard world. Help us, Lord, as we look at this text, and we think about it in context of the other scriptures you've given us and what we know about what you've had to say to us. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would help us uh, to uh, be built up, encouraged, possibly convicted, whatever it is we need from you, Lord, we pray that you will do that for us as we worship you together in considering your word and hearing your word preached. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first part of of Acts 11 Uh, that we are not going to preach as part of our sermon series is when Peter went back and he told all the Christians back in Jerusalem what had happened with the Gentiles, how even the Gentiles had gotten saved. And the the Jewish people there, uh, they had the same misgivings that Peter had at first and they questioned it and he explained it. And look at, at the great, wonderful response of the Christian church filled with the Holy Spirit, were so happy that it wasn't just a Jewish thing, that it was global. Uh, They said, it says in verse uh, 17, Peter said, if God, then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's a good motto for all of us in our life. If God's doing something, who are we to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, 
then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is global. Christianity is global. And where we find ourselves in the text is with it starting to spread. It's spreading out now. It's not just a local little thing. People were still in their comfort zone, some of them. Some of the Jews who were scattered because of the persecution. Well, you go to a strange town. You're chased out of your own town. You're uh, discombobulated. Your whole way of life, everything you thought, your house, maybe most of your stuff, if not all of it, is back there. You're making a new way of life. And, And they're only talking to the people that they were the most familiar with. But they were talking to them about the Lord. Some of the Jews only spoke to the Jews. It said some of them then spoke to the Hellenists who were the um, Greek Jews. Some of the conversations might have gone like this. I mean, think about somebody coming into the neighborhood and you're down in the marketplace or your kids are there, or you're finding the synagogue, or you're looking around just as you move to a new town. Why did you move here from Jerusalem? We weren't safe there. Not safe? A Jew in Jerusalem? No place is safe, but it seems like that would be the safest place to be. That's where the most people are that are like us. Well, something happened that makes us not like us anymore. There was a transformation inside. Whatever could that be? They said, well, we became followers of the way, which is what it was called up until this time, the way. The way, what is that? And a conversation opened up to talk and share the the gospel with people. And they were doing that. The text says where they went and God scattering them, God changing up things in their life, there they were. Others talking to the Hellenists. Now, what we need to understand as we get into the text, this is um, what they tried to tell us early on. It's, It's what Christians should know. You don't base every single thing that you do based on the narratives of Scripture. You take the narratives of Scripture, you take what Paul gave. Uh, Sometimes when you read about the actions, it's all backed up in the directives. You read the directives and the actions of people illustrated. So we need our whole Bible. It would be like if I said, okay, what we're going to do, I don't know how many people are here, but what we'll do is we'll take, uh, let's say we had 66 people. So we'll just start here with Emma, and Emma has to take Genesis. You've got Exodus, you've got Leviticus, you've got Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way around, and you come back, and all you have is that book of Scripture. And you come back, and and you've got to write a religion based on that book. We would have some pretty weird religions. We'd have some pretty close ones, because some of the gospel is clear. But some people, um, who's got Leviticus... (laughs) Claudia, what would you do? Well, and we'd say, no, you cannot look. You can't look at the New Testament. You can't look at what Jesus did. You just have to base. Well, uh, all of it, we take our scripture together. We take it together. We take our scripture as a whole. Uh, Somebody said, and I liked it so much that I say it quite a bit now, it's not 66 books. It's one book with 66 chapters. And they are interrelated. So we find ourselves here in Acts, and we look at this church, and we see all these uh, proofs where what they were doing was biblical. We see what was right and what wasn't right. We see how people respond. Best starting question to ask 
anywhere in Scripture is where, where is God in this? How does this talk about God? How does this explain God? What's God doing in his world? And then you move to how do people respond to God? That's why in our church what we try to do is, is take uh, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, and, and we, we want the whole Scripture and we, wanna, we want to learn from all of it. We don't have a, we might have favorite places we personally go to for comfort when, when we need it. We might have favorite stories that we respond to. My favorite story, I've, I told some of the, I think in the men's group, I said, when I was a little kid, my favorite story was the obvious one. My name was David. I loved the story of David and Goliath because that was me. Passed on and, and got older and started thinking things. Boy, it was the woman at the well. And I loved the messages there. I think right now it's just that one little incident where the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I find that to be so comforting when I look at my own faith and say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus saying, that's good enough for me. But we look at all of scripture and we take all of it. And so here we find ourselves looking at this group of people. What we're learning about in Acts right now is the organization of the church. We're seeing things just get started. The first, we can't really technically call them deacons because they weren't, but they laid the groundwork for the deacons, Stephen and Philip. The Bible at least doesn't use the word deacon for them, but we see their role and what they had. And then we see later on Paul sending out qualifications for deacons, and we understand it's the formation of of the church. And so this is important to us. The church is being formed. It's being understood as a a, a global thing, but it's being formed into local congregations. And that's where we can learn as we look at this, see how God put his people into groups and what's going on. So that's that's, uh, just things for us to think about as we contemplate this morning. Relating to one another in the body. What is a church? What's our own relationship? Prophets heard about what was happening there in Antioch. People were believing. It says a great number were turning to the Lord. And they sent people down. And this is what what we're thinking about today. So uh, one phrase that jumped out at me early on in this, and, and that phrase, added to the Lord. Added to the Lord. What does it mean? What are the ramifications of being added to the Lord? And there's three things this morning just to, that I, I've, I've uh, how I've organized this sermon around this text. The first thing is this. When you are added to the Lord, you become part of something that is much bigger than yourself. Second thing. There are benefits and privileges for the person who has been added to the Lord. What are they? The third thing. To be added is also to be subtracted. What were you subtracted from when you were added to the Lord? And that's the direction and the way the sermon is going this morning. So, first thing. When you're added to the Lord, you become part of something bigger than yourself. It says in verse 26, it was in this Context, it says in in verse 26, uh, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. First called Christians in Antioch. 
when you were added to the Lord, you were part of something that the world began to call Christians. You weren't just part of a little Jewish sect there in Jerusalem that was still going to the temple and you were just kind of followers of the way. All of a sudden, this is going global because God wants it to go global. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? What does Christian mean? It's a diminutive. It's uh, somebody who says, and it always, I always heard this, and I heard somebody say, it doesn't really mean that, and then I read it, and I think it does. Uh, you, could, you could properly say, little Christ. It's a diminutive. Christians. It's, you're identified with something bigger, and a person that's bigger, and Christ is our head. You're a Christian. A little version of Christ might be the best way to say it. Not in your perfection, but in your position. Jesus broke the bread. He said, this is my body. Now, this has always bothered me. Because Jesus, when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Right? And we say that. This is my body, which is broken for you. But then you read, was Jesus' body actually broken? Psalm 34.20, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Then you come to John 19 in that whole paragraph, and Jesus is on the cross and the, the two criminals beside him. And it's been about time. And when, when they were hanging on that cross, they had a little uh, uh, thing at the bottom, and they, would, they could raise themselves up. And, and it was a, a great tactic uh, if you wanted to kill somebody slow and make a real example of them and, and put the fear of, and terror of, of death into them. And so uh, they basically die of suffocation as long as they can keep their, their, their body straight, they can breathe. And in, in John chapter 19, the soldiers came along and, you know, we've got to get this over. Crazy things, it's getting dark all of a sudden. Uh, this is kind of spooky. We haven't seen one like this before. Let's get it over with. And what did they do? They came and they broke the legs of the first criminal so he couldn't support himself and he would die quick. They broke the legs of the second criminal so he could die quick. They came to Jesus and they did not break his legs. They said he's already dead. It's like he's dead. Stick a fork in him. They stuck the sword in him. Proof that he was dead is the fact that they did that. That whole incident proves that he actually died and wasn't just swooning somewhere. And out gushed the, the, the blood and the water and, and they said, uh, all right, he's dead. We don't break his legs. And John 19 even says this in verse 36. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. So this is, this is why and I, I've, I've read this and thought about this. And, and just in, maybe nobody's wondering or even noticed. I don't say, this is my body which is broken for you. And some, some guys get pretty theatrical and snap that thing right at the right part. And I'm like... Man, they're pretty coordinated. I bet they can walk and chew gum at the same time, too. I don't break it because I, his, his, he, he, wasn't, he broke the bread, so that's a reason to break it. But they don't say, and this is my blood which is poured out for you, and they don't pour it out all over either. So I'm like, if you're going to be dogmatic, be consistent. What is the breaking? This is what we're getting to. What is the breaking? Uh, what is the body of Christ? What in 1 Corinthians when it talks about discerning the body? And, and, and isn't there so much scripture that talks about 
Christ is the head of his church and we are the body. And, and that breaking, uh, I've heard this, heard it in a Rich Mullins song, I've heard it in, in, uh, in theology books, and I haven't developed it enough in my head to, to, to wrap my brain on it, but I know this passage talks about us being little pieces of the body of the kingdom of God. And we are broken. We are little pieces of Christ. We are Christians. And if you have been added to the Lord, you are part of Christ's body. Part of his body. The body continues to be broken into little pieces and distributed throughout the world. Christians going here, Christians going there. Sometimes because of persecution like what Stephen went through and they have to leave. Sometimes uh, you know it's God, it's a job transfer, and so it's, it's something there, but God moves his people around to be with the people he wants them with. And the body continues to be broken. And wherever you go, if you're a Christian, you are a little version of Christ. You have Christ's name on you if you're claiming that. And I would just say, don't take that name upon yourself in vain. What else is involved in being added to the Lord? What are benefits and privileges of being added to the Lord? There's a couple of practical ones that happened here in this text. And we see uh, lists of things that, that make it good to be a Christian throughout Scripture. But one of the things that happened in this text is this. The loving interest of people who care about both you and about God's glory. Verses 22 through 26 says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, found him, brought him to Antioch, and they taught them for a year. Part of being added, a benefit of being added to the Lord is that there are people who the Lord has ordained to love and look out for you and care for you. Some of those passages in Paul's letters about how God gave gifts to the church, some prophets, some apostles, etc., etc. You know, uh, you can say it in two ways. You can say, Somebody says about some elder in some church they were at, he thinks he's God's gift to the church. Well, that might not be a good thing. But if they said he thinks he's God's gift to the church, that can also be a great thing because he realizes God has put him there to shepherd and love his people. He is God's gift to the church. It's a gift. And God added these people to the Lord and they weren't just out there on their own to figure it out for themselves. People in Jerusalem saying, well, we got enough troubles here. Uh, we'll just let them go, and the and, uh, Holy Spirit will help them like he helped us. No, they heard what was going on, and they loved God so much, and they loved these new believers, these fellow Christians that were coming into the faith, that they said, we've got to do something about it. This actually is a basis for Presbyterianism and connectionism. We're going to get deeper into that in Acts 15. But there's a connection with the churches and not just on your own. 
and they loved them and they sent them. We have the hindsight of church history. We can see how it unfolded. We can see how the kingdom spread. They had no idea what was going on and what God was doing. And it just smacked them in the face that Gentiles could get saved too. And now all these people here, these people there, these people here, these people here. And they were people that God raised up to say, if you are little versions of Christ, you are Christians, this is global, this is something, then we've got to exercise our love for you and our love for God and help you grow. And they sent a good one, Barnabas. What Barnabas do when he saw their faith and saw them coming to the Lord? And say, oh man, I got a lot of work to do now. Uh, how much are they paying me for this gig? Who's going to take care of my business when I'm away here? No, he saw what God was doing and he saw their hearts and he, he was glad, it says. His heart was so glad to see them. And what did he do? It says he did this. He encouraged them. He exhorted them in verse 23 to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He saw what they needed. He also saw his own limitations, and he said, they need some teaching. They need somebody to help them uh, cement this. There's obviously an emotional attachment to Christianity. There's a a, a commitment there. But as I'm encouraging them to, to stay true to their commitment, they need some anchor. The reason why couple of reasons why, and one reason why we even sang, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, uh, is, is because he went and got Paul, and Paul saw what these people who'd been added to the Lord needed. They needed the anchor of God's word, and he didn't just give them a, a quick outline and move on. Stayed with them, teaching them, strengthening them, knowing what they needed. If God adds you to the church, God has put you in with a group of people who love God, but who also love you. In addition to the spiritual help and commitment, there was, when needed, material help and encouragement. Agabus comes along. They get word that a famine is coming. They're saying, we care about our brothers and sisters around the world. We care about them spiritually. We want them to stay true to the Lord. We want them to grow in their faith. We want want, uh, God to be glorified as more and more people are added to the Lord. But we also care about their bodies, and this was diaconal work. Here comes the famine. God did this once before, if you remember. Probably did it many times before, but one, one time it just jumps out at us from Scripture, and that's when God let Joseph know ahead of time that the famine was coming. And he protected not just his people, but all the people. But he protected his own, his own uh, called chosen people by letting them know about the famine and providing for them. And so you see this diaconate work, this famine relief. Earlier in Jerusalem, you'd seen help for the Hellenistic widows, these widows that needed their food and, and weren't getting it. And they cared spiritually about them, but they cared about them in the health and the food that they had. Truly a word and deed ministry. One of the questions we asked the deacons, got this out of a, a great book uh, by Tim Keller uh, on the, the, the Ministries of Mercy and on the, the Jericho Road. And the question was this. You have a certain amount of resources 
someone in your church is in need in your immediate body, there are other people that come that aren't Christians yet. They're not in your church. Who, as deacons, do you choose to help first? Because you don't have unlimited resources. And the answer is the Christians. That's the biblical answer. Jesus saying, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done to me. I quoted that verse once in seminary, and it wasn't Lincoln Duncan. It was a guy named Duncan Rankin. They had two Duncans uh, around there. And I quoted, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And he stopped, and he says, David, you've just misquoted the Bible. I said, no, I didn't. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. He goes, you just misquoted the Bible. I said, no, I didn't. (laughs) And then I looked it up. And he had me look it up. And he was kind and loving about it. But Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done to me. And you look for the Christians, and Christians help Christians. If you are added to the Lord, boy, you come on on a scene, you help everyone. And our job is to help everyone and love everyone. But you are added to the Lord. Christians, you're, you're a bigger family now. And you've got a family that looks out for family spiritually and Christianly. And so here it comes to help. I had the illustration, and maybe you've seen this TV commercial. I liked it, and they ran it for a few times, and I always laughed every time. I, I, I stayed on that one and didn't lose my attention. It's the insurance guy. And I, it might have been, I don't know, farmers, ins- I don't know which insurance, it doesn't matter. But he's going around to the houses, and he's giving balloons. This is the anniversary of when you had insurance. He's giving balloons out and celebrating that they're insurance. He's walking down the street, and there's a little girl on her tricycle. She goes, Mr., can I have a balloon? And he, gives, he goes to give her the balloon, and then he stops. He goes, wait a minute. Are your parents, did they have this insurance? And uh, the answer is, give the little girl the balloon. Don't ask those questions. You help everybody. But you make your plan on how you're going to help your Christians. And once we get our deacons and we have a, a diaconal fund, boy, that's part of what we're doing, and that's what we see in Acts. There is a groundwork laid A famine is coming. Let's make a plan for how we help our brothers and sisters who are Christians in this place. And they did take that offering. Whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done to me. Now, this is a good transition point for the sermon because some might say, well, isn't every single person who's ever lived Jesus' brother or sister? just by virtue of being born and breathing air. And there's a, maybe there's a, some kind of a sense in which you can say that, but not in a biblical sense. When you are added to the Lord, when you are added to the Lord, uh, you are subtracted from something else. Look at the Greek word, added to the Lord. It's prostithemi means to place additionally, to lay beside, to annex, to repeat. In the Septuagint, when they say, transfer, translate the Old Testament into the Greek from, from the Hebrew, he was gathered together with his fathers. It's that same word. He was added to them. He died. He was gathered together with them. Added to. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and you know these words, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, which of you, by being anxious, can prostithe me 
a single hour to his life. Which of you, by being anxious, can add on to your lifespan? Later on in that same sermon that Jesus preached, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be prostitimated unto you. They will be added to you. You have the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek those first, and then there are specific things that are added. The addition to be added unto the Lord. Luke used this several times. The apostle said to Jesus, prostitheme our faith, or we translate that increase our faith. They said, I have faith. Jesus, increase my faith, add to that. And that's when Jesus gave his response in Luke 17 about the faith as a grain of mustard seed, and he's talking about that. But that whole word added, it says in Acts 11, 26 that we're talking about, these people were added to the Lord. They weren't part of the Lord. They weren't in Christ, as is Paul's later language. They weren't added to the Lord, and then they became added to the Lord. Several times in Acts, we've already seen. Acts 2.41, Acts 2.47, Acts 5.15. They were added to the Lord. You weren't, and then you are. Not everybody is a Christian. We do not believe because the Bible does not teach it. In fact, it clearly teaches the, uh, teaches the opposite. Not everybody is a Christian just because they breathe air. You have to be added, which implies a subtraction from the column you were in. In Revelation, the precise names of those who were added are in something called the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation chapter 21. Read read the end of Isaiah, and now we're going to read right there at the very end of, of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, and into then chapter 22. Listen to this. Here's the end of all things. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city, this is heaven, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, lights everything up. Think of the opposite, hell being outer darkness. Heaven don't even need a light because Jesus is there lighting it all up. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who has done what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a book. There's names written down. And that's the Christians. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And again, think of God's global glory. The nations that we're reading about here as, as, as the gospel is coming and spreading around the world to all peoples. 
No longer will there be anything accursed in heaven, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And we're thinking about being added to the Lord what you might have been subtracted from. It is a very appropriate question to ask as this old hymn we used to sing in church in Iowa and maybe you sang wherever you grew up and went to church, said, Is my name written there on that page wide and fair in the book of thy kingdom? Is my name written there? That's a good question to ask. Uh, When you say, Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? You're saying, Have I been added to the Lord? Boy, there have been two bank accounts that I followed. I'll be an old guy. I will lose my mind. I won't remember much. I'll be in the nursing home. But I will remember those crazy passwords <laughs> to our own personal account and to the church's account. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, so I, I looked at those all these years. Look, look, look. And boy, when it comes time for my direct deposit to come, hey, there's money added to my account. Then I look at the church's account, and you know what? It's added to one, it's subtracted from the other. We watch, we look. You can't add without subtracting. In the old days, I used to look every day, sometimes two or three times a day, at the church's one. Elders have a joke. Boy, things, things get really, you know, kind of tight or they're touchy. And some elder will say, by October, we're going to be insolvent. And we all chuckle. That's our inside joke, and I won't even tell you the the background for that joke. But what that joke means when when an elder says, by October, we'll be insolvent, what they're they're saying is this. God has always taken care of this church, and God always will. That's our way of saying that. Um, And it's, it's based, it's just a funny thing. But we look, and we look. We've got the world's greatest bookkeeper. I don't look so much at the church's account anymore, because somebody else is watching it. And that's good. And the elders get their report, and I don't have to think about it. Thank God. But I do know this. If money appears in my account is added, it's taken away from Christ the Shepherd's account. Because this is where I get paid. Okay? Think about yourself being added to the Lord and what it means to be added to the Lord. When you were added to the church, that accounting happened. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life in permanent ink. We could use the metaphor and say it was written in Christ's blood, and it can't be removed. But you had been on a different list, and now you're not on that list anymore. If you are added to the Lord, you're subtracted from something else. Biblical language is, once I was blind, now I can see. Biblical language is, I was dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he quickened or he made alive. Biblical language is this. uh, You've passed from darkness into light. And there are two columns, and that's the only two columns. Last count, boy, how many genders are there? 64 and and climbing? How many races are there? How are we dividing ourselves into people? How many graduations is some college going to have as they divide, 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 divide? Biblically, no division except two. You're either added to the Lord 
or you remain in your trespasses and sins. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Christian or not Christian, that's it. And at the end, just as Isaiah, I was loving that. I, I, I debated. And then Mark got up to read, and I thought, did I do that? Did I say that? Did I include the, the hell part or the, those last two? When I said that, I guess I did. Because it's all beautiful. It's all the nations. I wanted it for the nations and all that stuff. But then there's that last zinger. <laughs> there, here's a zinger. If you're added to the Lord, your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life where it wasn't before, you go to heaven. If you are not added to the Lord, you go to hell. Uh, some people soften it and we say, well, a Christless eternity. I've heard people say that. A Christless eternity, which is hell. And as we understand what it's like to be in Christ and to love Christ and live with Christ, Christless eternity is a very bad, scary thing, but not to the rank and file of people. Go ask people on the street, would you rather go to hell or go live in a Christless eternity? They'd say, well, maybe the food's not as good. And they don't put a mint on my pillow, but I think I'll take the Christless eternity. You go, no, that's the same thing. Two kinds of people. And if you're added to the Lamb's Book of Life, it means you are subtracted from whatever list that is, uh, the goats. And just as its counterpart, well, Christless eternity is hell. It's worse than the worst thing you can imagine times a billion, times a billion, times infinity. And the counterpart, which is a Christ-filled eternity, which is heaven, is better than the best thing you can imagine times a billion, times a billion, times infinity. And to be added to the Lord, to have repented, to have turned in faith to Jesus, because it's synonymous. In Acts, uh, first it talks about what the people did. They turned to the Lord. They, They believed and they turned to the Lord. There's a repentance language in Acts. And then later on, it's, saying that's synonymous with being added to the Lord. God does the work, but there's a, 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 something he prompts in his people to repent and turn. To be added to the Lord not only means you're part of something bigger than yourself as you are a little version of Christ, and, and we have us all around the world, different people functioning as, as Christians. It not only means that you have been, um, have all the earthly benefits including people who care about you and look out for you, who love God and love you, who God has raised up to help. It also means you've been subtracted from that column, that column that was hurtful and unfulfilling, that column where you had to be your own God and provide for yourself and look out for number one, that selfish world that when you were added to Christ's kingdom, Added to the Lord, it became Christ's selflessness that even uh, infiltrated you, and you find yourself, even as you grow, becoming more and more Christ-like and less selfish. It meant you were headed for eternal hell that was even worse than the hell on earth, and you've been changed in your columns. So there's some benefits. Wow. 
a non-believer who thinks it's all luck would say, you're pretty lucky if you've got all those things. We would say, wow, God must have loved me with no merit of my own. Something about his body, something about his blood, something about his substitution, something about his bringing me into the kingdom to add me to the Lord. Closing illustration. I practiced this this morning with Gordon. <laughs> Peter said, I don't know what kind of a sermon this is going to be, but we practiced. And I said, the Yankees win. The Yankees win, which is about the stupidest baseball call I've ever heard. <laughs> that's a bad one. Jack Buck simply said, that's a winner. The one I liked the best was down in Philadelphia. And this is back before we had any XM radio, and so I was, it was either the Orioles or the Phillies, and I kind of, I enjoyed them both. Like, there was nothing better. Here's a perfect day. It was a perfect day for me at that stage. We're up at the old veteran stadium. It's dollar dog day. <laughs> That's a good day when you got kids to haul to the stadium. Sun is shining. It's the 4th of July. The Philly Fanatic's riding around in his little cart. The grass is green. They've got the lines all lined up. People are filling in. I said, what could make this 4th of July baseball game at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia any better? And all of a sudden, over the loudspeaker, they started playing Philadelphia Freedom. And I said, man, that's it. This, how, can you, how can you improve on that? Well, you can. But um, that announcer down there was a guy named Scott Graham. And he had the best call when his team won. The game was over. When it was a victory, he'd say, put this one in the win column for the fighting Phils. Put this one in the win column for the fighting Phils. And you think about you being added, you being added to the Lord. You have all these earthly benefits. You're playing the game. You're walking through the innings now. Uh, and then you die. And the Bible has its own version of put this one in the wind column for the fight and fills. The version in the Bible is this, Psalm 116.15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You die. You're in the wind column. You've been added to the Lord. Maybe your life is a rain-shortened life. It's a rain-delayed win. You get four and a half innings in, and you win. Maybe your life goes 20 innings and you just live and live and live and you outlive everybody and people are still saying, is that game still going on? Free baseball, three games today instead of one, and you win. Put that one in the win column. Maybe your life is a pitcher's duel. Maybe your life uh, is one where you overcame what could have been costly errors in the middle of your life and God saved you and added you. Uh, maybe it's one where you dominated from the start you die as a Christian because you've been added to the Lord. He says, she's mine. We won. She goes to heaven. Welcome her. She was added to the church. And you think about this life compared to the eternity that you get to live in heaven because you've been added to the Lord. And I think it even makes the hard times where we're grinding it out uh, a lot easier. Don't ever forget, added to the Lord and what it means for you as a believer. 
And you were added in permanent ink. And don't ever forget that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We're there because Jesus took our place, substituted. He died that we might live. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. Our unrighteousness for his. And you are a Christian. You've been added to the Lord. If you put your faith in him, repent of your sins and turn to him. And you can celebrate that and you can live and you can just play the game. Because those words are there. Well done, good and faithful servant. Precious in my sight is your death because you are mine and you're going to heaven as mine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for what it means to be a, a carrying your name around as a Christian, Christian, a, a little version of Christ. Lord, thank you for the other Christians. We thank you that we weren't saved to be in isolation. We thank you for the unity that we have with each other because our common denominator is that our sins have been forgiven through Jesus' blood. We thank you that uh, what awaits for us because our name is written there on that page, white and fair, we thank you for what awaits us on the other side of this and that we don't fear death and we can live uh, with joy and with, with gusto and, and, and with patience and endurance, uh, whatever is required of us, whatever, whatever kind of game we're, we're, we're called upon as we live our life, that we thank you for the end result that you receive us and love us and welcome us into that place called heaven because of what Jesus did. Thank you, Lord, uh, if we are been added to your, your, yourself. We thank you for that. We pray for those, Lord, who do not know you and have not been. And we pray that today will be the day of salvation for them also. In Jesus' name, amen.